Hello and welcome back to another episode of the World Changers Podcast. I'm your host, Alonzo Malvarez. And in this episode, we're continuing the conversation with the Honorable Attorney John M. Howe. In this episode, we asked Attorney Howe some of the questions that uh, you guys have brought up concerning police accountability and legal reform. I really invite you to not only have an open mind, but also have a willingness to take what has been shared and put it into practice in your own local community and uh, your own uh, particular government to see transformation happen. My name is Alonzo Malvarez, and welcome to the World Changers Podcast. You know, and, you, know, you, know you always have these forces that are with us. They, they, didn't, they didn't go anywhere. No, you know, you know, even mm-hmm. though we had a black president that even brought them all more. Mm. Mm. You know, so, you know, when yeah. you've, you've heard those phrases, you know, we have to take our country back, take it back. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, you, you know, I, I you know, w- w- with that context, it's so important. And, you know, I got to I got to break in my, my psychological formal training. But uh, for all my listeners, this is such a good time to really dig deep, especially for those that are uh, non-black. I, and, and I want to suggest um, you reading if you love academic research. All right. Not not something that we got from a blog spot. I want you to check out the um, from this um from the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, um, there is an article called The Essence, Essence of Innocence, Consequences of De- Dehumanizing Black Children. Once again, that's The Essence of, in- of Innocence, Consequences of Dehumanizing Black Children. This was a study that was done in uh, February of 2014. And in this study, um, they a controlled study where they had police officers uh, look at various pictures of children and uh, they had to presume or they had to give their best guess of the age of that said uh, child. And believe it or not, that the black children in this study was on average, these police officers, they overestimated the age of black ch- black boys by four and a half years, four and a half years. Now, that, now that's a really, really big deal for a 14 year old that you call, you know, uh, uh, that that is being dealt with with uh, law enforcement to a 15 year old, four and a half years. And so um, I, I really encourage you to check out that study. It's a very powerful study because uh, the reason why I bring that up in, in, in tether to what John is saying, because we're, we're, this is not only a, um, a legal thing, but even psychologically, um, you know, people have just been so programmed to uh, criminalize the black body um, um, and, and therefore use excessive force or take measures uh, that that is just grossly unjust. And so I lean into that question. Do you have hope? Is, is there is there hope to see reform and change happen? What do you think? Well, you know, uh, we always remain hopeful Um, (laughs) but you know it it is you know change doesn't come um with no cost and Mm. we've we've unfortunately seen that and you know we've seen what can happen over time you know like you 
for example, you know, if you don't believe me, you know, ask Martin Luther King. Wow. You know, um, and yeah, people. Yeah, I recently, you know, I've come to the conclusion that you know, you know, we've been very liberal, you know, in recent years with the word friend, you know, like with Facebook and everything. Um, and we've used that, we've overused that term. And I think all of what has happened now, it, it serves as a reminder um, that we're, we're, we're very, very far away from achieving or or coming close because I don't think that we'll I don't I don't think we'll ever fully achieve you know true equal justice um, because I don't think in across this country that that is mm. a concept that um, in in many places that is number one welcome and number two where there's a will to bring it into reality. Mm. So, so, but it's something that we can work towards. And in this country, unfortunately, the only way you get changed is for things to play out in a way that you can show that this, this kind of inequality this kind of injustice, even if you are in the in the classification of people who are the subject of injustice and who are being who are being targeted, it it affects you as well, and that's the difference in this case because you you've seen what has happened, you know mm-hmm. that you know even. This coronavirus thing, you know, is you can track that back to a certain form of injustice, you know, because it was it was avoidable, you know, the the number of lives that it had taken, it it didn't have to be that way, but because the people, or, and namely a person who had the power to address it, ignored it because. He didn't perceive that it affected him or would affect him. And as a result, we've seen hundreds, you know, over 100,000 people dead. And what has that done? It, it caused our whole economy to have to shut down. And mm. so now it's hitting those people in the pocketbook. The same mm. thing with, with this George Floyd and, and so on. When the protesters come and they shut down businesses and you know it, it affects the economy and yeah. people vote with their pocketbooks and they say enough is enough that's where you see the change as in the nfl apologizing to the players about trying to when they were standing up and calling out for justice you know by kneeling during the national anthem the kind of thing that actually resulted in one of the most unexpected changes that I saw this week, which was yeah. NASCAR NASCAR banning the Confederate flag. Mm. You know, all 
all of those things have come across because all of a sudden those institutions realized that they're putting them in their pocketbook. They didn't do it because they had like a moral conviction. Wow. Yeah, they're doing it because they have been forced to the realization that this kind of injustice it hits it hits us at home so and and therefore they switch positions as of now. But the problem is is that we, the affected class, and I would I use that word loosely, but you know, we can just for purpose of this conversation, you know, mm-hmm. black people, we have a tendency that when, you know, things are in a state of turmoil and where we feel under threat and you know, we're angered, we're brought to a sense of anger, we fight back and we lash out and we demand change and, and we do get it sometimes. But once what there's some change we seem to forget that things can regret and retreat, you know, recede. And think about that, right? You know, you have the civil rights movement, you know, and, you know, they got rid of segregation and all this stuff. But we allowed ourselves to be distracted all the time. But while the war on drugs, and I said, I think, quote, you know, um, minimum mandatory sentencing, you know, criminalization of um, things that affect us, right? Yeah, yeah. All of that stuff was going into place because going back to the 13th Amendment, they were criminalizing being black, right? You know, you have mm-hmm. people that don't pay attention to the fact that private prisons, which are making a profit off of, off of you know, imprisoning people, i.e. black, that's their business model. They're the ones lobbying for stricter laws. Because, you know, if if you build a prison, you're not going to make any money unless that prison stays full. Right? So so that's that's where you you convince, you know, the white population who are empowered that this all these crimes and black people pose a threat and and they're criminals and you criminalize everything and you put harsh sentences, you take the discretion away from judges to hand down their appropriate sentences. That's how you end up with, you know, three strikes, you're out, minimum mandatory, you know, prison release, reoffender. All of these are ways to handcuff judges and send people to prisons for a long time. And and all of that happened right underneath the radar, and we weren't paying attention to it. Now, all of a sudden, it's come to the forefront, and some of it is being changed. But unless we, A, go and vote, you know, a lot of people sat back on their laurels and rested on their laurels when um, Barack Obama was elected. Right, and so they didn't go then vote the next time around. You know, under oh, I, I don't like Hillary, blah blah blah. You know, and because they thought, hey, you know, we've reached a certain threshold, we're good. Well, 
that were that were not correct, were they? So in a in a certain sense, you know, I while what has happened and the setbacks we've experienced in the area of civil rights and you know human liberties and equality under the law have suffered so publicly the the silver lining is that it has unmasked the kind of racism and hatred and bigotry that is very much alive and well in this country and and it's forced us. And in, in fact, it's not forced. We've known it was always here. But the key is it's forced a lot of non-black people, non-brown people to the harsh realization that it's, it's bad and it's much worse than they were willing to admit. And again, I use the, the term um, moral ambiguity. You know, there's no, there, there's no moral ambiguity here. You know, you're either on one side or you're on the other. You know, and and if nothing else, you know, the current administration and you know President Trump's policies and his you know division, his work to divide people. So while it's been it's been so harmful to you know democracy and to you know the you know our national unity, but it it has painted bright lines so that you're either on the side of equality for all or you're not, and there's no there's no sitting on the fence about that, and you know I'll tell you I. Uh, I've had some tough conversations with some people who I formerly called friends and made it clear that there's no, there, it is mutually exclusive. You can't be our friend or wanting to be called that, but be on the other side when it comes to the, the basic um, notion of, you know, equal justice for all. Wow. 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 Um, you know, I, I I immediately thought um, of the Martin Luther King Jr. quote, and I don't have it in front of me, but according off of memory, um, and, and he said something to the degree that it is not necessarily the voices um, of our oppressors that we, that or one would remember, but the uh, silence. Um, right. It's the silence of our friends. The silence of our friends. And sure. that is real. That is true. And uh, I, I, I literally have to just say this again because I, I've been I've been really saying this a lot to all of our world changing listeners, is that even biblically speaking, you you cannot be neutral. You, you cannot be neutral. Oftentimes, 
from the Old and New Testament, God is consistently calling us to to be vocal and to speak up for the voices of the oppressed. And so um, that is that's just that is powerful what you've said, John, uh, Mr. John, and, and uh, very helpful. Um, here's here's one more question um, from the audience. I have so much more, but I want to honor your time. Uh, one, one question asked, and I thought this was a really, really interesting one. Uh, that was put up. Um, how can we enforce the policy? Uh, sorry, how can we enforce the police to be held accountable for any injustice, unjust situations that we see time and time again? I'll repeat that again. How can we enforce the police to be held accountable for any unjust situations that we see time and time again? Well, that's a, you know, a load of question that, you know, we could talk about for days, but <laughs> okay. the, the, but there are some key necessities that have to be in place. And two words are at the top of the list. One is transparency hmm. and the other is accountability. Mm-hmm. And and when those two things are set aside or suppressed or ignored, that's what opens the door to what we are seeing today with the police. Okay. Um, and it's the kind of thing where, um, it has been exposed, you know, and there are certain things like technology, right? Um, technology and the, the, the prevalence and the um, and you know the proliferation of technology has really um, been just groundbreaking and you know earth shattering in that sense. Um, Alonzo, Alonzo, you're probably I'm going to date myself here. You're probably not old enough to have remembered when it was actually happening, but I know you've heard the name Rodney King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, we could put the Rodney King case and the George Floyd case on, you know, separate parallel tracks for purposes of comparison. And mm. the, the, the key was that the actions of the police or the misdeeds and crimes of the police were actually captured on video Mm. and broadcast widely in both cases. And in both cases, at some point, you had a vast outbreak of public uprising and public, you know, um, you know, public anger and outrage because why because it was something that the whole world had witnessed number one and number two because the police weren't being held to account right so in rodney mm-hmm. king's case there wasn't public outrising you know outrage right that way i mean we all saw it mm-hmm. knew it was mm-hmm. wrong in that case again there was no moral ambiguity there was no uncertainty about what we witnessed. You know, we witnessed, you know, 
four or five police officers beating Ahmed savagely. You know, mm. it, it didn't result in his death, but mm. they, they beat him savagely and severely injured him, and it was caught on tape. And that was one of the first few times when, in, in recent years, where that was actually caught on tape. You know, mm. and this time, you know, it was caught on cell phone. So unlike, mm. unlike the times of Rodney King, you know, cell phones were, they were our own, but they were very rare. You know, um, this guy got captured that just happened to be have one of those big clunky video cameras at his mm. house because he was a journalist and he captured it. Now everybody has the ability to pull their phone out and capture, you know, things as they're happening. You know, look at the case of Philando Castile, who, you know, unfortunately, you know, his girlfriend Facebook streamed, you know, live streamed his actual murder by the police officer. You know, and so the going back to those two um, concepts, transparency and accountability, on one hand, you know, that's why we've seen the introduction of dashboard cameras and body body worn cameras and and so on. And that's what I'm talking about when I say transparency. Because once those videos are taken and once it's mandated that they are taken, like we saw what happened in uh, in Kentucky in Louisville, you know, after um, Rihanna was murdered. And what happened? The police claimed they didn't have their their body cameras on. And then there's another gentleman who was shot in the in one of these protests, shot and killed by the police. They didn't have their body cameras on. And what happened? police chief was fired immediately. And that's where the accountability comes in. Because mm. it's one thing to have the transparency to record, but if the second half is being held accountable for your actions or misdeeds. So un until those two things are brought into meaningful effect, right? Um, and used on a regular basis. That's where they become commonplace. That's the only way that we're going to be able to police the police. And, and accountability also, it has to come in the form of, um, passing laws, like they put on the books now or put, or, or vote now, that takes away the option from police, from fellow officers, from saying, well, I didn't do it. I was just standing there, you know, but I didn't, I, I didn't have my knee on his neck. Um, an affirmative duty has to be placed on police officers that if they see another police officer, um, committing a crime or, or abusing or violating the rights of a citizen, that they have an affirmative duty to intervene and stop it or else be held just as accountable as the officer that 
actually committing the offense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until we have that kind of law on the book, so that's the accountability as well. You know, because police officers have said, you know, um, well, you know, I, I wasn't there or I only, you know, hit the guy one time. Well, 20 of you hit him one time. You know, and so that's, those are the two concepts that we have to have. You know, where we have to say, where is your body camera? Where's your body camera footage? And if they say, well, my body camera was turned off, that's it, you're out. Yep. Wow. And, that's, and that's the accountability. So I hope that that answers that um, yeah. listener's question. Yeah, because those are the things that that we need, and and oh. and those things take many different forms. So it can be dashboard cameras, it can be um, public record logs, you know, all of those things. Um, you know, it, another thing is with on the accountability front is we have to look at police union and the power that they have amassed to get mm. laws passed that protect bad police officers. Mm. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing that um, has allowed laws to be passed that when a police officer shoots somebody, like for example here in Florida, if a police officer shoots somebody, the first thing they do before they announces or whatever before the real investigators come and start investigating. The police officer has a chance to walk through the crime scene, a potential, mm-hmm. potentially their own crime scene, and give their own version of what happened first before the investigation even starts. Did you, did you probably didn't even know that, did you? No, wow, no. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So, so, you know, that's, those are, and those laws have been passed. You know, like if, if you shoot somebody before the criminal investigator comes, do you get to walk through and give your version of what happened? You know, or, or try to make your defense, you know, particularly mm-hmm. if the person is dead. Wow. Right, you know, and that's what happened. You remember Corey Jones' case? That's yeah. what happened. Wow. You know, and, it, and if had it not been for Corey Jones have been you know, on the phone with the roadside assistant, that disproved what the police officer was saying as to how and why he shot Corey Jones. Mm. He would have gotten away with it. Wow. There's, there's no doubt he would have gotten away with it. So, on the other hand, if that officer had been compelled to wear a body camera, it wouldn't have even mattered if Corey Jones was on the phone because the body camera would have caught it. So, Mm. that's what I mean when I said there has to be transparency and accountability. And we have to think of rethink the roles of police unions. You know, like you hear police officers getting fired, right? Yeah, 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 and all of the police officers. I'm familiar with all the, you know, cases here in West Palm Beach and in Palm Beach County and across the state of Florida, where you hear that the police officer got fired, and then a year later, I'm walking down the street and I see that same police officer 
back in uniform. And you're mm. like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What, how did that happen? Well, mm. you know, all of a sudden he exercised his rights and filed a, an appeal and they took it to arbitration and some arbitration board finds that, oh, well, he shouldn't have lost his job and without any public notice that officer is back in uniform or <laughs> that that officer goes to another department and they hire and he continues doing what he's doing at his police department. So mm-hmm. there are laws right now that are going through that have been introduced in Congress. We don't know what will happen because we still have a Senate that is um, very slow. They've been very slow about acknowledging that change needs to be brought about. And so, but we have to, that's why we have to keep focus on what is going on. And we have to focus on staying in court. John, thank you so very much. Um, you know, we have all, I, I believe, just been so informed, but also challenged. You know, the last question that I want to uh, present to you, Mr. John, is um, how can we move forward to take responsibility to be agents of change, to take responsibility in being agents of justice? Um, and I'm using agents of justice in, in a very broad sense. You know, I know that some of us may not be attorneys or aspire to be judges, but we have responsibility. So how can, what, what is your words of wisdom to us uh, that you can give to us and uh, any final words um, that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, the first one is vote. Mm. Vote. Um, and I, the reason that, that that comes and that's the first and foremost thing is you have to consider that um, why is it that people who are against equality for all, okay, why is it that they have put so much energy and time resources into, into um, keeping you, the listener, away from the poll? From the very beginning, you know, why is it that, you know, slaves weren't allowed to vote? And after slavery was abolished, why do you think that they brought, they passed Jim Crow laws to keep black people away from the polls and make them, you know, you know, give them tests with all kinds of impossible questions and all of these different things? And yeah. all of these tricks that they've played over time, and they continue to play. Yeah. You know, we just saw it this week in Georgia, right? You know, in the black areas of Georgia, all of the the precincts, yeah. half of half or most of the machines weren't working. They only and they some of them they only staffed them with one or two people. And why is it that you saw people? waiting for three, four hours to vote, to, to be able to exercise the right to vote. So think about this. Why is it that over, this, from the very inception of this country to this, to this very day, why is it that they have 
expended such energy and money to purge you off of the poll, right? Off of the voter um, poll. Why is it that they have spent so much time? It's because it's important. It's because the right to vote is so important. So if you ever wonder, you know, why is it important to you to vote? You should probably start wondering, why is it so important to them that you not be able to vote? Yeah, yeah. And that kind of answers itself for you yeah. because it's, it's crucial, it's important. And that's how change comes about. That's the only way that change comes about is when you come out and voice voice your your opinion by going to the ballot box and vote. Hmm. And what people should do is make sure from now that you are registered to vote and that you are still on the voting roll. You know, did you know that if you don't vote for, you know, like seven years or it, it, it varies in different places, okay. that they will go around and take you off the poll, mm. off the roll. Well, well. Um, people don't realize that, and then all of a sudden they show up at that time like this, and and they say, "Well, you're not on the voting rolls anymore. Mm. You know, you can't vote." Mm. So yeah. that's the that's the one thing that I would emphasize that is extremely crucial. And you know, all of these protests and all of this outrage, it means nothing. Mm. Nothing at all if you don't go on vote. Mr. Mr. Howell, thank you so very much. Thank you for having me on. Yes, yes. This has been an honor and a privilege to have you on here. Um, you know, to all of our listeners, guys, you know, you hear me say it all the time that we just are not going to live in theory or in just the clouds, but we're going to also put in practice and put in the work and the energy. Mr. John, um, you know, I've admired your life. He is a true uh, world changer and a difference maker in the world and particularly in our own county and state and region. And so thank you so much for helping us um, have a better understanding, but also a challenge to go forth and change the world. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the World Changers podcast. I really challenge you all to really not just again, listen to this, but apply this, put this into action and share this with others who you know can benefit from this greatly. So uh, Mr. John, thank you so much again for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And thank you for having me on. Of course. All right, World Changers, thank you for tuning in. Wake up, get up, get out, and change the world. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.